Hi, this is Steve Hill, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. How are you? I'm good. You've been busy. I'm always busy, uh, but but uh, I've been pretty. I've had a pretty good year. Um, with everything that's been happening, even with the pandemic, I've done I've done about 30 shows this summer. I've had a really good summer, and uh, uh, during the pandemic, I've, I've done a lot of the Facebook Live concerts, and um, that's been uh, uh, it, it's been great because it gave me something to do. It gave me something to look forward to. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, back in March, I started doing these. Uh, these live stream concerts and uh for a while i was doing it every week wow i had something to do you know and the fans were there uh every week i had about 1500 people and wow. uh yeah so and uh, um so uh, in order to not repeat myself you know because as a musician you tend to play the songs that you're comfortable with you know and uh, so, so uh i did uh i got these records that i did as a one-man band i got solo recordings volume one volume two and volume three so uh after like a month of doing a show every week i decided to do these you know like i do volume one and then the week after i did volume two and then volume three so i had to relearn a lot of my songs because <laughs> You know, you, you never play like a whole record, you know. So uh, it, it's been it's been fun for me, and and it was great for the fans. You know, they they were there every week and they enjoyed it. And like I said, it gave me it, it sort of gave me a reason to live. You know, as a musician, if you're not if you're not playing for an audience, well, I find personally that I need that. You know, in order to be happy, I need to play for people, and, and it's, it's certainly not the same uh, when you're. When you don't have the reaction when you're doing it for a phone you know but after the concerts i'd read all the uh, comments and you know it made me uh, feel good for a couple of days and then i had to learn some tunes back <laughs> on the monday you know so so and so I'm, i've been doing okay you know and i released an album a year ago called desert trip and uh well uh, on november 26th we just released the deluxe version which has three more songs and uh, during the pandemic, I've done a lot of acoustic shows because it was easier this way. And also for the live streams, you know, it, it was easier to do an acoustic show than to have the, the whole band uh, thing. But I, I did I did some of that, too, you know, until the neighbors started complaining. So then, <laughs> then I did acoustic shows and, and I really love playing acoustic. So um, I, uh, Desert Trip is mostly an acoustic record, you know. Um, there's some electric stuff, uh, mostly like on the deluxe version, but it's mostly acoustic. And uh, it's a side of what I do that people haven't heard as much, you know, and it's something that I, I really enjoy doing. You know? Well, I, I do want to talk about that album, but I want to go back. But before we go back, let me talk mm -hmm. to you about if you've put that kind of pressure doing a show a week and having to relearn some of your own material, were you able to write, like, creatively, were you able to write new songs during the pandemic? Or were you too busy? It took me a while. At first, you know, for the first, I don't think I wrote anything for the first year or first six months, at least, you know. Uh, I was not inspired at all 
and uh, I had just, uh, when, uh, when the pandemic hit, I had just finished a record, not Desert Trip, uh, but the one, I'm, I'm still working on it, because I'm redoing some stuff, but I had an album finished, and uh, I was, I, it was supposed to be released in, uh, in April of uh, 2020, uh, but I decided to postpone it, you know, um, so, so I didn't feel like I had to write anything, and I wasn't particularly uh, inspired about uh, the pandemic, you know, and I figured there would be a lot of pandemic songs at some point, <laughs> you know, and people would get tired of it. Uh, but so I haven't really written anything about it, but there's, there's certainly songs that I put on Desert Trip that I wrote like five years ago that seems to resonate more now <laughs> being in the pandemic then they, they seem to make more sense uh, now than five years ago, somehow. I don't know. How do, how do you think you've changed as a musician, as an entertainer, as a songwriter, because of this past year and a half, two years? Or this experience of the pandemic? Well, uh, it made me realize uh, uh, that I, I, really, I really enjoy playing for an audience. Um, I've been, I've been basically, uh, doing this for 30 years. I started playing clubs over 30 years ago, actually. Uh, but professionally, uh, it'll be 30 years, like in six months, you know? So, um, and I've, you know, I've always done like a hundred shows a year. So it's like, it's a given, you know, I, I never had to think about it. It's, it's, it's my job. It's what I do. And if I'm not playing, I'm recording, you know, but it's, it's always to have another tour, you know, uh, and you get caught in that and you don't realize, you know, like that it's, it's something pretty precious, you know, to be able to go somewhere, you do your own thing, you do your songs and you have an audience there and you, you sort of take that for granted, you know, but I don't anymore, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's the, the big difference. Um, but as a musician, I don't know if it has changed anything. Um, it's, it's a journey that started uh, when I was 13, you know, uh, when I started playing. And, and it, I just keep evolving. At least I think that I keep evolving. Uh, maybe not, you know. Uh, <laughs> it may sound like I'm always playing the same thing. I don't know. But to me, there seems to be a progression, you know, and and uh, the the goal is to is to you know like when you start, you know, you learn how to play like this guy, you learn how to play like this guy, and then and then as you go along, you're like, okay, that lick, everybody plays that lick, so I'm not going to play it anymore. That lick sounds a <laughs> bit. Uh, that sounds like me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play it more often, you know. So that's sort of what's what happens like uh, like if you listen to bb king if you listen to his first recordings you can hear the influences and then he just narrows it down you know because he had a pretty big vocabulary if you listen to his early recordings and then it's just the bb king licks you know he never yeah. plays a t-bone lick anymore it's just bb you know and that's that's what you want you know as a, as an artist you know like uh, as a guitar player but also as a songwriter as a singer so that's that's the main goal and hopefully i'm getting closer to that 
Tell me, tell me about that 13-year-old kid who picked up the guitar. Tell me how that all transpired. Well, I, I, I started on piano the year before. Um, and I, I, you know, I've always been into music. As a kid, I knew about music uh, more than the other kids my age. You know, my dad loved music. My big brother loved music, too. And they'd buy records. Nobody, nobody played music in my family, though except my mom played piano and there was a piano in the house, you know, but it was not really an, uh, an artistic family, you know? Um, so I started on piano and I was into, uh, that was around like 1986. And uh, I was into music from the seventies or the sixties, you know? Uh, and I got into, um, you know, like Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and Cream and, and that got me into wanting to play the guitar, you know, more than piano. So um, I picked up the guitar. Uh, I'm a lefty, but a friend of mine played guitar right-handed and he showed it to me that way. And that's how I learned, you know. And uh, I don't know why I was attracted to blues because it's not like something that was being played at home or, you know, you wouldn't be able to hear that kind of music uh, uh, where I grew up, you know. but uh, these, you know, like uh, Hendrix did Red House and Zeppelin had some blue stuff and Clapton was certainly into that kind of stuff. So uh, I'd read interviews with these guys, you know, and they would talk about the greats, you know, B.B. King, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson. So uh, I started buying blues cassettes the year after I was 14 and I bought Muddy Mississippi Waters live. And I ended up playing or opening for most of the people that play on that, that were in Muddy's band at the time, you know, which right. is just amazing, you know, if you, you know, thinking, thinking back uh, on it, you know, but so, and, and so I got that and then I got um, more real folk blues, uh, Muddy Waters and uh, Buddy Guy, I was walking through the woods, which was like chess recordings. And uh, I bought Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues Singers. And I, I like rock music and a bunch of other things, but I really like that stuff too, you know. I don't know why, you know, it just, it's, it's something that I wanted to play, you know. And, uh, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a journey ever since, you know, like, and it, it's still the, the, the rock thing and the blues thing and, to me, it's music, you know, and I've learned how to play both types of music at the same time. It's not like, you know, I, I can't pretend that I was raised on blues and I never learned how to play anything else. You know, I had jazz guitar lessons. Um, I love country music. I love folk music. I've heard a lot of different types of music. And I, you know, like, I love all of that stuff. To me, there's good music and there's bad music. And there's good and bad in every type of music, you know. So uh, I don't consider myself a blues man, you know. I, I consider myself a musician. Uh, but blues is probably what I play best. Um, again, I don't know why, probably because I played, I played it a lot, you know. <laughs> well, that would make sense. Yeah, but I mean, to, to like a blues purist, I don't think he would... If, if you listen to everything that I do, it's not blues. Some of it is blues, 
And but you know, I have too much respect for the masters to call myself a blues man. <laughs> How was it getting into the the Montreal bar scene when you were young? How difficult was that? And and was that more? Are you were you going in as a blues influenced musician or more like a rock musician? Blues. Um, actually, I'm I'm from a small town about an hour away from Montreal called Trois Rivières, and I started playing clubs in Trois-Rivières when I was 16 and I had a rock band. And then I, uh, by the time I was 18, I had three acts. I had the rock band, I had a blues trio and an acoustic blues duo with a harp player. And uh, I do every, uh, they had a blues bar called L'Odyssey and I would do every Thursday night there. And at the time in Montreal, uh, the most popular band was the Bob Harrison blues band. And Bob, they, they came to play uh, uh, for a weekend there and the guitar player couldn't do it. And a friend of Bob had seen me play and he told him to try me out, you know. So I, I get this call and can, can you play with Bob Harrison tonight and tomorrow? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after the, the second night, I got the gig. So the wow. week after... The week after, uh, I was doing four nights in a row in Montreal. And a month after, I was hanging out with Albert Collins and Johnny Copeland backstage. Uh, <laughs> it, it all happened, like, really quick. Because uh, Bob had the Montreal Blues Festival at the time. He was the guy that started the Blues Festival. So, uh, you know, like, so a week after I joined the band, I'm meeting Buddy Guy. I'm meeting Albert Collins. I'm meeting all these guys and I'm playing with all the big cats in Montreal, you know, Stephen Barry band, uh, I'm Jimmy James, Carl Tremblay, Jim Zeller, all of these guys, you know. So I did a couple of years with Bob, two and a half years. And then uh, <laughs> I basically stole the band. <laughs> uh, okay, so we, tell, tell me. We became the Steve Hill band. <laughs> tell me at that point, before you stole the band, at 18 when you joined Well, Bob's... I didn't really stole, steal the band. We all left at the same time and started a new band. So. Okay. <laughs> tell me about at eight, 18, did you know that this is what you were going to do? Oh, of course. I knew when I was 14. And did you know what that meant? It didn't take me long to be able to, you know, like, it was, it, it, I was, I was practicing all the time. It was the only thing that I was thinking about, you know. And uh, so after a year, I was playing Crossroads by Cream, note for note from beginning to end. And uh, I knew th there was nothing else that I wanted to do, you know. That, that was it. That was it. So the first chance I got to move to Montreal and, and, and be a musician, you know, I just took it. So tell me about starting your own band and what that was like for you. Because you're still young. Do you know what you want to do with your band? Do you know where you want to go musically? I just, um, well, I, it was a power trio. Uh, um halfway uh, like a year after i joined bob harrison his nephew sam joined the band sam harrison uh who you may have heard of he played with paul delaurier oh, okay. he played with me for years uh he's the drummer on my first two records and also on i did an album uh, 
called Steve Hill and the Majestics, The Damage Done. That was uh, in 2009, I think. And he was the drummer then. And uh, I still play with him from time to time. You know, it's, it's been a long time and he's a great drummer. He's the best shuffle drummer uh, in Quebec for sure. And certainly one, one of the best uh, in Canada. And so Sam joined the band and we had Mark Deschain on bass. And like a year after that, we started our, our own trio. And um, I've always loved power trios. So uh, that's what I wanted to do, you know, do some, some blues stuff, but do some, a bit of Hendrix uh, and, and try to do original material. And, and so we did, and, and uh, two years after that, we did uh, our first record. And that we signed to Bros, um, a record company in Montreal, and they decided that it should be Steve Hill instead of the Steve Hill band. So it became Steve Hill. And that was my first album in 97. How did you feel about that, to be singled out like that? Uh, well, I understood their point. There, uh, you know, like it's, I didn't mind. Uh, at the same time, we had we had a deal. It was like more of a band deal, so it was fine with everybody. Um, um, so it's just it just became Steve Hill, you know. Okay, so now you're based out of Montreal at this point. I I moved back to my hometown four okay. years ago. I bought a house here. Okay, so but but you did basically play around Montreal a lot. Oh, yeah, I, I was in Montreal for 25 years. So we were uh, playing all across Quebec and sometimes in Ontario, you know. I, I think we did our first uh, Canadian tour like in 98. So we were, and we were playing Europe too, France right. and Belgium and um, like two or three times a year. And yeah. Okay, so at one point or another, about ten years ago, you decide that you're going to do this one man thing, one man band thing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how that came about. Tell me where you were with the band at that point and how it, how you, this one man band concept came about. There's uh, between the the first album and then uh, there's been a bunch of different bands. You know, uh, I've played with a bunch of great musicians, um, did some blues stuff, and then went into rock um i and you know like try to uh, every type of music i wanted to tackle you know and, and had fun doing it um i've also um yeah i've played with other artists as well like michelle pagliaro nanette workman um and a bunch of quebec artists you know and um what happened is that in um 2011 I signed with a label. We released an album, and uh, not there wasn't much happening. You know, like um, there was actually nothing going on <laughs> with my career. Um, the record was not uh, doing well. That there had been no promotion at all, at all. You know, and uh, um, it was hard to make a living at that time. You know, uh, so I decided to 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 start a side project in order to keep the band going, I would do solo shows. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I'm a studio owner, so uh, I decided to do an album uh, that would cost me nothing, you know, in order to be able to get my finances back and 
get the ball rolling to do another album with the band, you know. Uh, so, does the, doesn't the solo show start partly because you wanted a guitar? Also, uh, <laughs> let me get there. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> well, the first, uh, okay, this is what happens. Uh, three weeks before the album came out, um, a friend of mine, Leo Gallagher, I've known him for 30 years. Um, I bought a lot of guitars from him and a lot of amps. And um, he was, uh, he's been really good to me because, you know, I was able to buy these guitars and, and I would just pay him like a hundred bucks a month. Sometimes like a payment would be for like years, you know, and I'd have a bunch of payments. At some point I was paying his rent. You know? <laughs> but I could, I could have never bought these guitars, you know, uh, just if I, if I would have had to pay for them right away. So he's got this 1956 ES-225 and he comes to my place with it and it's, it's just great, you know, great slide guitar, you know, great overall guitar, but for slide, it was just fantastic. And I had no money at the time. So he goes back to his place with the guitar and he calls me back and he says, you know what I'll do? I could, uh, you could have the guitar in exchange for a solo concert. And he organized, he's from Drummondville, and uh, he organized this concert. He rented a place, sold tickets, for, and I did the solo show. Now, Leo's an old friend of mine, so I used to do solo shows when I was 18, 19, you know, and he liked those shows. So he wanted to see that again. You know? That's the only reason why he offered the deal. <laughs> it was a very selfish thing for him. <laughs> so uh, and it, it, the place was packed and I had a lot of fun you know it's something that I hadn't done in years and it felt good you know and I obviously really liked the guitar so and and then three weeks later uh, that album called Whiplash Love came out and nothing happened and I was going broke and so I'm like well I did that thing that solo thing and that was a lot of fun so I told my uh agent at the time you know I, I actually gave him a list of pubs and small places that I knew that they would they would like to have me and uh, I could make a few bucks you know and so I gave him the list and he booked he booked some shows and um, uh, I decided to do an album to sell at these shows you know and uh, that ended up being solo recordings volume one which is my best-selling album <laughs> and uh um my career sort of took off from there did you that know, surprise just, you and, and and yes totally i thought i thought i'd i'd do like an album do solo shows for a year and then go back to, to go back with the band you know but all of a sudden people wanted that solo show and and then people started noticing me in toronto and and, and the ball got moving and it got a Juno nomination. And then, you know, like uh, I sort of, the first one was called Solo Recordings Volume One, but it was sort of a joke, Volume One. My, my first band, uh, we, we, uh, with my first band, we released a, a tape cassette 
30 years ago called Greatest Hits Volume One. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a joke, just bringing back the volume one. But then, you know, like people liked it and it sold. So I had to do a volume two, you know, and that, and that one, uh, that, that one won the Juno and the eight Maple Blues Awards or something like that, you know. So, uh, and then I, you know, I did volume three and, and that opened the doors um, in Europe, like, with volume three, I started playing a lot in the UK and Germany. And, and uh, so I, I never would have thought that I'd become a one man band. You know, I was very happy as a guitar player. Uh, actually, when I started my first band, I was just a guitar player, but then the singer left. So uh, I had, and I didn't know anybody, anybody else who could sing. So I, I, I became the singer. It took me a long time to call myself a singer, but I was, you know, like on my first couple of records, I, I, I don't really consider myself a singer, but I was the singer. <laughs> eventually, so I, I eventually I learned how to sing, uh, but it, it, it's always been like that, you know, like with uh, solo recordings, volume three, uh, that's on my own record label because nobody else wanted to sign me at the time, you know, so. <laughs> That's surprising, though, isn't it? Because of the success that you had with Volume One and, and especially with Volume Two. No, but Volume One, uh, you, you know, uh, it's, you mean it's surprising that it was on my label? No, or, that there was an interest on. Well, there was no interest. In, nobody wanted to sign me before Volume One. That's the <laughs> yeah, thing. But, but yeah, by, by the time you get <laughs> a Juno did, Award. Oh, but and, oh, but by the time. I, I didn't want to sign with anybody, you know, oh, I was doing true. pretty yeah. well without a record label, you know, like my, my best selling albums are the ones that I released without a label. So why would I sign with a label, you know? Right. So <laughs> as a solo artist, because I think if I'm not mistaken, that the, the way you play the music and you approach the solo, the one man band thing has kind of grown over the years. So it might have been simpler in volume one than... Mm -hmm. volume two and then more in volume three um as a musician because now you're worried about being a percussionist you're also worried about like you're worried about being a band <laughs> how yeah I, I would presume that there it comes with a lot of different opportunities but also some restrictions of course um, how did you deal with that and well, was that an issue at all or was it you just kind of grew well the limitations from it sort of dictated the sound and the direction you know like uh when i started on volume one um i couldn't do much i couldn't do much with my feet you know the first couple of songs i recorded was just guitar vocals and i would foot stump and the thing about volume one two and three is that i had a rule that i had to record everything live there's no overdubs you know just because so, you wanted the live to be replicate the album. Just because um, there is something in a performance, and I truly believe that, you know, if you record a good performance, um, it's, there's something happening that it's, it's, it's hard to do it when you, when you record uh, track by track. It's, it's doable, but uh, especially for a project like that, it you know like i felt it had to be done live you know and uh so and i'm like that you know if i if i decide okay that project has to be done like that i stick to it and that sort of gives me a direction 
because mm-hmm. if I don't have that, I can go anywhere and I'll put like 15 guitar tracks. And in the end, it's not, it's, it doesn't really serve the song, you know? So, it, but if you go, if, if you have to do it live, then you have to, um, it, it has to be like the, the essence of the song and uh, the performance, you know, and, and there's something that, uh, um, there's something in that, that, uh, can't be uh, replicated if if you try to do it some other way, you know. Right. Uh, uh, so so uh, when I started, it was just guitar, vocals, foot stomping. Then I got a bass drum, and then eventually I figured, well, I got this other leg, you know. I might as well try to do something with it. And I was I was working on uh, I did a, on volume one. There's a cover of Politician by Cream, and. Um, Dan, my guitar tech, was there, and I was like, I need a different kind of percussion, you know. And he put some coins in a coffee cup, uh, in a in a, a paper cup, you know. Right. And we uh, taped that to my foot. And then I was like, okay, let's do another one. And, and we taped it to the other foot. And so the soundtrack to Politician was money, you know. <laughs> so it made sense with the song, you know. And... Uh, uh but that and that was the first time that i used both feet to to do a track and it took me the first day i recorded for, for 16 hours and the second day 14 hours to finally get a uh, you know a take it took a wow. long time you know to get the arrangement and get a take and then you know like it took me 3 weeks to 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 start walking right again you know, like, <laughs> because <laughs> you know like i do it standing up too you know, right, I yeah i don't know because i've always played standing up and since i started with one foot it it made sense to do it standing up but then after a while i i had the other foot you know and i couldn't do it sitting down you know so i learned how to do it standing up and uh then i got a hi-hat so that's basically volume one and after volume one, I went on tour, did like 150 shows and while working on volume two, volume two took, it took a lot of time in the studio because I was, I was trying to push the, you know, the boundaries of what I was doing. So I figured out, you know, like, okay, it'd be nice to have a backbeat. So I figured out a way to have a snare with a bass drum pedal and then I wanted to have bass. So how do I get bass out of, out of the guitar, you know? So um, I ended up um, taking these uh, 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 pickups from the 60s uh, and just putting it like under the bigger strings of the guitar, taping it to the guitar. And that would go to an octave pedal and a bass amp. So oh. this way, it would pick up the big strings of the guitar, give me the octave down, so the, the, the register of a bass, and then I could play guitar and bass at the same time. <laughs> but then I had to relearn how to play the guitar because you can't play chords on the big strings if you have an octave or it's just mud, you know? So, so that, was, uh, that took a little while, but it worked, you know, right away. I could see the possibilities, you know, and then um, uh, I, I wanted to do like punches on symbols, you know. So, how do I do that? You know, if 
so I figured out, okay, if I had a drumstick on the guitar's headstock, I could punch on a cymbal. So uh, my friend Leo Gallagher uh, found a way to make it work, and we got the drumstick on the guitar. And, and so I had the, the bass drum, the snare, the bass pickup on the guitar, and the drumstick with the cymbal. So that's volume two. And so, then I. But so, and, and having seen you play, you also keep the beat with that guitar, or sometimes you're hitting the, the cymbals. So yeah, yeah. You, now you're playing the drumstick with your guitar, but you're having to move your guitar a certain way while you're playing. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. And, and after the cymbal, um, I had the hi hat there, so I got a on my on my left. I have uh, I have the hi hat and the cymbal. So it's just like a drummer, you know. If you do a beat, you're you're on the hi hat or the cymbal, or the beat is on the hi hat, and you crash on the cymbal. And on the on the drumstick, I then uh, added a maraca, yeah. so so you got the subdivision there, the like the eight notes. You got the on the hi hat or the cymbal, and the and the beat. So yeah, I have to move the guitar at all, you know, at all time while I'm playing it. So there's there's a there's definitely a challenge there. <laughs> it took a long time. Uh, uh, to be able to to do it, but it's it's it was it was actually um, it was fun, you know. Uh, I'm 47 now, so I started doing this in my late 30s, you know. And after being like a professional musician for 20 years, sometimes you know, like a, I know a lot of musicians. After a while, you know, like they know what they're doing, and and. Uh, they stop learning, you know. Uh, right. It's 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 easy to get into that, but now I had to learn how to play drums. I had to learn how to, and, and you know, uh, guitar players we always play ahead of the beat and we always rush, you know. <laughs> but and that's why you need a drummer because the drummer stays there and the bass player usually plays behind the beat, you know. So I had to learn how to sort of do all of that at the same time and and uh it, it took a while and it was a lot of hard work um each album that i've done you know like uh and it, after volume two i did volume three volume three i did twice i i did the album in my studio then i went on tour played the songs live and then went to a, a bigger professional studio and did the album again um and that took me about a year, you know, just to learn how to play the tunes and be able to perform perform them live, you know. What, what um, do you think it was about the solo thing that you do? And it's not just solo, but it's this one-man band thing that you do that just kind of raised your profile, that, that kind of gave you a little more... I mean, I, I am correct to say that it did give you more success than before. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think uh, it was about that concept that, that changed things? It was different. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you can see a lot of blues trios or blues quartets or, or blues rock bands, you know. But uh, like a one-man band like that was pretty uh, different. And, and at the same time, uh, like I said earlier, the limitations of having to do everything at the same time um it, it they sort of helped me to find my sound because hmm. like i said i i love 
a bunch of different types of music and sometimes you know i get caught on and i go in a direction and it's not necessarily what i do best you know but with with that it 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 sort of uh, it brought brought down my music to it you know the what i um what i do best i guess you know or to a sound that is um maybe it's 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 simpler maybe uh and people seem to like simple music um uh i do i certainly do um i think uh i found uh it was it, it was probably more personal than what i've done before or maybe it was more heartfelt uh, i don't know um it's hard to explain you know what works and what doesn't you know there's yeah, yeah. a bunch of different things i had a pretty good team too you know good pr people good agents um uh on the road i had uh i had great a, a great crew you know for for years uh we were touring a lot, you know, and, and I had a pretty good team, you know, so it's not just like when, when uh, success, uh, when, when, when success happens, you know, it's not just like the singer, you know, it's, it's a, it's a team effort. You know? Right. Um, so that's the other thing when I, when I look at you on stage and I see, I don't know how many guitars you travel with, but I know it's more than one. You mm-hmm. have your, your percussion instruments and, and various things. I mean, it's it's quite a setup. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you're not touring by yourself. You you obviously have a crew. Uh, well, uh, for the past year and a half, sometimes I do it on my own, and uh, <laughs> it's it's quite complicated. It, it makes for I can very long days. <laughs> yeah. And what's the setup like? Is that is that a complicated thing to go into different venues and to do your sound check with all? that comes with what, what your show is based on well i've it's become um it's become easier uh i mean uh, for a while there i needed uh i needed uh, a crew and uh um you know like a lot of stuff and uh for the past year and a half um i just i just made the setup simpler and and, and it still works uh but i still prefer to have a crew if i have to do the one man band thing uh that's why i really like the doing the acoustic show uh, but still the acoustic show is still a bit of a one man band thing i do uh percussions with my feet but it's it's not drums it's a lot more simple and the the acoustic guitar goes through a fender super reverb amp um and i play harmonica i play uh a lot more harmonica when I play acoustic than I, I actually don't play harmonica when I do the one man band thing. It's a bit too much, you know. Uh, but but I get to play it when when I, I play acoustic, you know. And that's that's a much more simple setup. Uh, uh, and uh, I I also do shows where I do the first half acoustic and then I move to the drums and. Uh, but it, yeah, it takes a, a lot of guitars, uh, a lot of amps and. <laughs> It's a pain in the ass to have to, you know, to load the van. <laughs> and, I can imagine. And especially since I moved out of Montreal, you know, because my crew is is in Montreal. So now I have to load the van and unload the van myself. <laughs> I presume you still get to play with other people. But being, when you were busy, I mean, you were, 
you were doing so many tours and doing so many gigs. Do you miss playing with other people, like in terms of in a band setting? Yeah, well, I, I've I've done uh, I've done it a few times this summer. Um, um, I've got this uh, new thing that uh, um, my next project actually is with a horn section. So it's me as a one man band, <laughs> but I have a baritone saxophone, a trombone, and a trumpet, and a pedal steel player. So uh, I'm center stage, I'm doing my thing. And there you got the horn section and the pedal steel uh, player on the <laughs> other side who also plays bass on some tunes, you know. So I get, to, and with that set up, I can play pretty much everything I want to do. And, and that's a lot of fun. I've also done, uh, I've done a Hendrix tribute with Sam Harrison, my old drummer. And Alex McElkren, uh, uh, great bass player. So we've done that um, twice in the last year, and that was just amazing, you know. Uh, uh, so I'm and I'm planning to mix both bands eventually, and um, like um, 2022 is is the 25th anniversary of my first album. So mm -hmm. I'm planning to do some show, some summer shows where I, I do stuff from you know like all of my records with a bigger band you know uh so that might that that'll happen next summer um and i'm uh, i'm i'm so i gotta finish this record with the horn section and then i want to do uh more of a power trio record or a, it might be a quartet you know but something with a drummer and a bass player because um, I want to play my old Telecaster again. I want to. I want to play some guitar. You know, just playing guitar. Um, <laughs> I miss that. I do okay. miss that. Let's talk about the desert trip. Mm -hmm. So you went to California a few years ago. Yeah. With some friends, and then decided. What happened is I was there for the Desert Trip Festival. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, that's why the all the album is called Desert Trip because I. I wanted to, uh, the, the whole story behind the record is that when COVID hit, uh, I started doing these, uh, uh, when the pandemic started, uh, I ended up doing these uh, Facebook live concerts and putting my stuff on Bandcamp. I didn't, I, I knew about Bandcamp, but I, I was not on Bandcamp and, and uh, they, they, they did these uh, uh, Bandcamp Fridays or something like that where they wouldn't take a commission on, on stuff that you sold. Right. So um, the first concert I did was an acoustic concert, and I did a playlist called the, uh, I called it Acoustic Corona Playlist. And uh, I sold that on Bandcamp, and people bought it, and people liked it. And uh, so um, after um, like six months, I decided to release that. Um, and I did a photo shoot and I had my desert trip t-shirt on from the <laughs> festival that I went to in California right. and I saw the pictures and I was like, maybe we should just call it desert trip. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and so <laughs> that became desert trip. So on desert trip, what you have is a few songs, a few uh, uh, new songs that I recorded in California. The whole, th the whole story about the California thing is that I went to Desert Trip, the, the festival. Um, it was in Coachella, and it was just amazing. 
first night uh, was Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones. And then the next day was uh, Neil Young and Paul McCartney. And then The Who and Roger Waters. And it was just fantastic. And then I went to L.A. And the uh, first night I was there, I went to see Bob Weir. I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan, you know. So I was just in heaven, you know. And uh, I had some time off, so I just figured I'd stick around. And uh, I went to a friend of mine uh, in L.A. has got uh, a studio there called Valentine Studio. And it's, it's, it's just incredible. It's like, um, it, it's, it, it's like a time capsule. Studio A is from the 60s and Studio B is the 70s. And nothing has changed. Wow. Even the cables are from the 60s, you know, like it's, it's just amazing. So I went there and I was so impressed that I, I decided to buy a guitar, uh, get a camper van and, and just travel around for three weeks to write songs to eventually go back to the studio and record them. And that's what I did. Uh, I wrote a bunch of songs and I went to the studio to record them. Uh, I just kept one song from what I recorded there. I have but to tell, redo the other ones. Tell, tell me, when you say I'm going to go out and re write a bunch of songs, does it come easy to you? Like, did you know that you were going to be inspired? Like, do you, no. is it easy for you to go? <laughs> you never know. Uh, but um, I figured, you know, if I provoke myself, uh, something, you know, if, if I put myself in a spot where, you know, I'm out, you know, in the woods or in the desert and there's nothing else to do, something's going to come out, you know. Uh, and whenever I, pick a, whenever I pick a guitar, eventually there's riffs coming out, you know, and, and I record them on my phone. So that's what I did. Um, so every day I'd wake up, get back in the van, travel around and find a place where I could uh, uh, camp and, and then... Uh, I'd cook a little something and pick up the guitar and, and just play all night and record my ideas, you know. And um, after a couple of weeks, I had I had stuff for for uh, I had some stuff that I really liked, you know. And uh, so I rented a, um, a motel room in Yosemite, and then I finished the songs there, <laughs> and, and before I went back to California to record them. And I, I worked on four songs, you know, I had basic ideas for a lot of stuff, but uh, there's four songs that you can find on the album on Desert Trip that were written there, uh, four or five, may, maybe six. And the rest is, is uh, there's actually two songs from Whiplash Love, the album that tanked 10 years before. And, and there were two of my, I consider these two songs like two of my all time favorites that I've done, you know, so and a lot of people didn't know about them and they just seem to fit within the context of the of this desert trip you know and um uh, somehow um after spending uh, cuz i was working on another record you know and then i just decided to put this together and so it's it's not the the acoustic record that i had the acoustic playlist it cuz that was like I had like a few new songs on, on that and acoustic cuts from solo one, two, and three. So I, but yeah, I've, I've had studios for 20 years. So I have hard drives full of stuff. So I went through my hard drives and I've, 
I discovered some songs that I completely forgot about <laughs> and they just like fit right in, you know? Wow. And, and yeah. And, and so, um, we released, uh, desert trip a year ago and, and, uh, I had too much music for, for an LP and not enough for a double LP. So I decided to leave some stuff out, you know, and, so I knew that eventually I'd do a deluxe version and that just came out. It's got three more songs. Um, and uh, one of them is a, a cover of Robert Johnson's, uh, Robert Johnson's Hellhound on my trail. That was not uh, supposed to be on the album. I recorded that last September, um, but it fits right in. You know, it's the same sound It's the same, it just, and it sort of fits with the story. You know, I like my albums to have sort of a story, you know, to me, mm. uh, the, uh, the album as a piece of art, you know, is, is what I'm into. You know, I like, I like concept albums and every, every record that I put out sort of has a story from beginning to end. I may be the only person who, who realizes that, or, <laughs> you know, it, it may not be obvious to the listener, but, it's really important to me, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, 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 uh, so, um, this is the deluxe version. Um, and, and the last song on desert trip was tail lights. And then it, now it picks up with hellhound on my trail. And the reason why I recorded it, um, is I got a friend of mine who, um, who's a novelist and he published um, a novel based on Robert Johnson and on his deal with the devil. I think it'll be released in English in, uh, next year, but it's, it's only in French for now. And the publisher asked me to record a song, you know, to go with uh, the novel. And uh, I read the book and to me, Hellhound on my trail was the perfect track for that, you know, and, his songs have been covered so many times, you know, but Hellhound on my trail is one that people don't, don't try as much, you know, and I have mm. never played it, even though I've, I've played pretty much all of his songs. That's one that, you know, I kind of stayed away from, you know, and, um, but I decided to do that when it was the perfect one for the project. So, and I had an acoustic tour in August. So I played the songs live. And I recorded it on, uh, it was September 1st. Um, and I did, uh, I did two takes. And that's, I think the intro is from take one and the other one is take two, but it's recorded live. I mixed it real quick, but it, it was all there. And, and people have been playing it uh, uh, all over, uh, well, basically all over the world. <laughs> I, I get messages from blues shows and, Joe Bonamassa's, oh, who's uh, Joe Bonamassa's included the song on uh, on his brand new Spotify playlist, and uh, oh, nice. people seem to really like it, and and so it it was a good idea, I think, to put it on the record, and uh, so so now it's not just a track, you know, it's it's part of the album. Yeah, I was listening to it to this morning. In fact, it's a very nice version. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna have to wrap this up, but before. My, and I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. So, as I said before, we share a, a special evening many years ago. I think it was like end of January 2001, yep. I think. Um, I had my first interview with B.B. King in Montreal at the 
I believe at the forum, I think, right? And then well, he, uh, it was, was it, was the, it the Bell Center? Still the forum? No, it was the Bell Center. Yeah. It was Bell Center? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you were opening up for him. And I know that when BB was on stage, both of us were sitting at the side of the stage enjoying the concert. And that's what we have in common. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that artist who was on that stage that night to who you are today. Tell me about that journey and how, how different you might be or how much the same you are. Oh, well, uh, I was, I was still a kid. (laughs) I think I was 27, 26 at the time. Um, I had a killer band. That's probably, uh, the, the best band I've had so far. The band that I had at that moment was just incredible. Um, I had Tim Lofton on bass, uh, Tim, uh, it was just an incredible bass player from North Carolina. Uh, played with Hubert uh, Delbert McClinton mm. for years, and I had Scotty Doubt on rhythm guitar from Ottawa, Bob Stagg on keys. It was just a fantastic band, and we were at the top of our game, you know. And uh, the reaction was just great. And uh, um, BB was just awesome, and he was just the nicest guy ever. You know, he asked to meet me after my show you know like it was just an unbelievable um and as an artist back then it's it's yeah it's probably uh, pretty different from what i do now uh but i'm still i'm still the same kid just trying to just trying to you know trying to do my best and uh trying to get a reaction out of the audience i want to move people i want people to feel something and that's still the main goal, you know, uh, seeing the smile on the faces of the people, you know, that it's, it's just instant gratification. And it's still the best feeling that I've ever had, you know, the love of an audience, you know. And so I always do, you know, I, I give everything that I have for the people to have a good time when I play. And it's still my main motivation. Good answer. Steve, thank you so much for doing this. It's been, it's been a while since I last saw you. And we really yeah, it's doing been fun. Just catching them. Yeah. Thanks to you. Bye. See you soon.